I just like hearing you pray. <laughs> Alan, God bless you. Um, I've got Wilson written down. Where's the dear brother? Okay. Would you stand and give us a report? Uh, you're, you know exactly. We're going to have a word of prayer in just a moment uh, for a, a request, a prayer request from a man in Haiti. Just share that with us. Okay. Uh, this is a friend of mine. I've been to Haiti a few times. And uh, this fine Christian man heard him preach. Uh, got an email from him last night. Uh, he's had been having some health problems. Had to send him a little money. But last night he got an email. He said, someone's trying to kill me. So I prayed for him last night. But I asked Tom if we could have corporate prayer. Come against that evil. Mm-hmm. Put a hedge around him today. In the blood of Jesus. I appreciate that. We believe in corporate prayer. So does Tom. Yeah. So that's, that's Wilson. So kind of a All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to get in on what you want to do. And I don't understand this mystery of prayer. Much of it still remains mystery to me, but you have said that you are a God that hears and answers prayer. So corporately, we would unite our spirits and come come to you and pray for a man that we, most of us in this room, never met or heard of. And God, I pray you'd put around him a special hedge of protection, the murderer, Satan, who is a murderer, because he abode not in the truth. He's a liar and a father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. I pray you deny him any permission to afflict, assault, accuse, in any way harm Wilson. God, I pray about his health issues, you'd put your healing hand upon him. But God, that you would hedge up his way, send holy warring angels to go before him, to protect him from anyone sent by the enemy to take his life. I prayed for Peter when he was in prison and bound, and you sent an angel and stood beside him and delivered him. And God, we just pray you would do that for Wilson. We ask this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I have a pastor friend in Haiti. When I spoke down there, I did a warfare conference his name was Ecclesius. What's the other big city? Not Port-au-Prince, but Capetia. <coughs> That's where his church was at. And they would have deliverance services, ministry going on at every service. And it's real. How do you know what the religion of Haiti is? It's voodoo. They give ground to Satan. It's a... Oh, we were in St. Raphael, and uh, I went into a witch doctor's house, and you just felt the darkness. I wanted out of there. And uh, we need to pray for our brethren in other countries that are trying to be light in the midst of a dark and a crooked, perverse nation. So get a piece of the action in praying for Wilson. Uh, God has his people in every country. How many of you knew that? <laughs> There are people that know and love the Lord all over the world. Well, um, seven weeks ago today, a pastor friend of mine at 57 years old died in his wife's arms um, with their three children and in-law children and grandchildren around them. And uh, we sent a card out in hopes that it will have arrived yesterday or today to comfort her. Seven weeks at the funeral, I encouraged people to pray for Julia, his young widow. 
How many of you are at the place in your life where 57 is even young? Any of you there? Okay, that to me, I look at this. I, I guarantee you, Joyce and I do not look forward to her leaving me or me leaving her. Uh, and it's going to happen. One of us are going to go. It's going to happen. I don't want to live. You can live in denial, but the reality is it's going to happen. And uh, he, he said, I'm ready to go, I really, but I really want to live. He says, I worry about my wife. I want to take care of my wife. And those are legitimate things. It's part of the journey. It just is. And, and uh, anyway, just a few days before his passing, uh, before they sent him home with a pain pump, he had pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed September 9th. And so seven weeks ago, he passed away. I can't remember the date right now. June 7th, 8th, something like this. But we... We got to see him, and he was down in the hospital in Goshen, Indiana, and uh, they were sending him home the next day. We thought they may have sent him home the day before, and we were going to miss him. We'd been preaching, and I wanted to get to see him. And so uh, we went into the hospital room. Now, I don't do good. My, I, I, my wife, I love to have her with me when I go visit people in the hospital because she's so merciful, and so she just can minister to people, and I go in and say stupid things like, how are you doing? Well, I'm dying. How are you? You know, I mean, I say stupid things. Any of you know what I mean by that? I just, I'm not, that's not my comfort field, okay? But it was my wife there, and, but Ken, I loved him so much. Uh, I don't know how many years I'd spoken in his church. In fact, I'd spoken even this spring in his church, and he uh, stood up and gave testimony in the Sunday school hour, and anyway... We got there, and I'm praying for grace. God, give me grace to know how to minister to this brother. I just so many times don't know how. What, what do you say? What do you do without doing something stupid? And so I went into him. That morning, when I knew we were going to be able to get to see him and was hoping he was still at the hospital, <coughs> I had a song come to my mind. And I couldn't, it was just the chorus part of the song. This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. And that kept coming to my mind. Now, I didn't have it attached to Ken yet, but as I'd pray for Ken, that song would come. Finally, I connected the dots. I'm saying, okay, God. So when we got there, the sign on the door said, the visit's no more than five minutes, okay? And... Uh, because of the pain, went into his bones, and I don't know, he just had a lot of pain, and with it, they were going to give him a pump to say, administer as you need it, because there's a hospice, he's going to, they've done all they can do. The lady in his church diagnosed the same time as he was, and only lived about four weeks, but he had been on a voluntary experimental medicine kind of deal, he was chosen in this group, and I, I'm not going to give you all these details, and he had lived a little bit longer tumor still grew, the pain and stuff, and it, he was full of cancer. The thing of it is, the year before, he was strong and stout looking. And uh, so we went in there, and the sign said only five minutes. And I know sometimes in visiting people that are dying, they'll rise to the occasion, but it exhausts them. They see you, and they want to, I, you know, they want to greet you, and that kind of stuff. So... I just said, I saw the sign, Julia, you know, that we had been to them down to Shipshawana before, and uh, just, they were becoming friends. They were younger than we were, but they were becoming friends because of the commonness you have in Christ, and sometimes it's hard for pastors to get close to a whole lot of people, and, and that. somebody anonymous is easier for them, I, if you're tracking with me. 
So eventually I says, Ken, I do not know why, but I said this morning, as I knew or was hoping we'd get to see you, I said, I kept having this song come to mind. I can't remember. I said, I don't know if it's a hymn or what it is. And, but I said, it's, uh, be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds. And then uh, it's like Joyce remembered the, the hymn it came from, and so did Julie at the same time, so did he. And when they started it, in times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very... Any of you ever heard that? that? Okay, some places, I still like old hymns. That for some reason, those will minister to me many times. And uh, he started singing, and we all started singing it together because we all remembered the... the it, Joyce was the first one, and then Julia, and then we all started singing. And it, the last stanza of it goes, uh, I'm very sure, I'm very sure. And so we got to the, we were singing it to the Lord. Now, he's laying in a hospital bed, and he's got his hands lifted up, tears are streaming down his face, and he says, I'm very sure, I'm very sure my anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And when it came to this, this rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. And everybody's crying, singing this, Joyce, and it was just a hallelujah time. He says, I needed that song. He said, these are hard times for me, he says, but I'm sure, I'm very sure, my anchor is hanging on to the rock Christ Jesus. And when I take my last breath here, my next breath will be in the presence of my Lord. And he started preaching. <laughs> yes! We just, it was a hallelujah. And I'm thinking, because I want to finish well. I don't know how I'm going to finish. I've seen Christians die. I've, I've been around a lot of people when they take their last breath. I just have. I've just been there. And I'm thinking, what a way to go. What a way to go. He said, the last time this baby beats here, the next time it beats, it'll be there. He got it. And it was just a hallelujah time. Um, that song, by the way, is precious to me. I did a little research on it. It was written in 1942, I think, by a lady. Couldn't find any more history. How many of you know what's going on in the world in 1942? I wonder if it was a woman who had seen her son off to war and got the telegram, he's not coming back in times like these. How of you know life does have some times like these? Would you agree with that? Man, you got to have your anchor in the rock. And so that was a blessing. Well, he'd asked me, he said, Tom, would you have my funeral? And I said, I'd be honored. And I thought, I'm going to clear my schedule. If something's I find, I'm going to do, I want to do this. Now, his, ba his background was Mennonite. He had grown up Mennonite. He was pastoring a community church. But his mother had been Amish. And then she backslid and became a Mennonite. I... <laughs> I, you know, we do get ridiculous after a while sometimes with our faith and all this stuff. But she got liberal and they became Mennonites. So he grew up in a Mennonite home. I actually saw a picture of he and Julia at their wedding. And she had the bonnet and uh, he was dressed in a dark suit. They still had that, a lot of influence because a lot of their cousins' relatives were Amish from the... He grew up in the Shipshawana area. Are any of you familiar with that? It's just all of this. And... Uh, Anyway, he said, would you have my funeral? I said, yes. And I didn't know anything about the graveside. He was going to have another guy do the graveside, another pastor. It was Homer Yoder. Anybody guess what his background was? <laughs> he's he's Mennonite coming out of Amish background. 
but they had what they called a full burial. Have any of you ever been to a funeral where they have a full burial? I never had. I've been to them. To, some of you have. I saw one or two hands. Um, normally, I've seen, I, I mean, I have seen people take a little bit of dirt, put it on the casket and that kind of stuff, but the burial is usually done by the person who dug the grave, which is the cemetery personnel. But because of his background and him growing up and watching, and the reason they do this, a full burial is when your family shovels the dirt. Family and friends will all shovel some dirt on the casket when it's put in the grave. So they had lowered the grave, they lowered the casket into the grave, and the man who had the graveside shared why they did this. And Joyce and I are going, this is outside the box. This is something we had not witnessed before. And he says, his sons will begin. And his sons, I don't know, put 20, 25. Hans and Giles are the two sons. And then uh, son-in-law, and daughters, and grandsons. And then after that, it was uh, brother and uh, family members, uncles. And Joyce and I are standing watching this. By the way, that's a big hole. It's a lot of dirt you're shoveling. And so they had eight, ten shovels leaned up against the back of a, of a truck, and they just would put on. And he said, the reason we do this is because we want to do something for him that he cannot do for himself. He cannot bury himself. And he explained that. He said, it's something that when we participate in, we can leave the graveside thinking, we've done something for this dear friend or this brother or this father or th that he could not do for himself. And, they, and I told Joyce, I said, I'm going up. Finally, you know, this lesson, I just went up and I wanted to put seven shovelfuls. And there was something that happened in me that thought, I helped him. I did something for him. By the end of that thing, when it was over, there was such a freedom, and there was a large group there among the people because they felt like I've done. How many of you know there is in even unbelievers want to do good? How many of you knew that? God has placed that in the heart of all of us. I mean, there's some people that do all kinds of things, and they're good things because God has placed that within the heart of man. And I felt like this is something I could do for my friend that he couldn't do for himself. And it was just a blessing. And then we went to the funeral dinner afterwards, and it was like a party, like a celebration. We did some for Ken, you know. So I just wanted to pass that on to you because it was seven weeks ago today. Yes, Melissa. Once you do that, you will never forget the sound of the dirt hitting Have you had that experience? Bingo. <laughs> well, Julia shared how when they left Amish and went to Mennonite, they went through a thing called the shunning. Yep. They shunned them. Yep. And uh, how many of you know that's family and friends? That's a hard deal. And they would <laughs> go ahead. What a dear brother. He is a saint. But I love to be around these guys because they're all their journey. Go ahead. Yeah. 
44. I had my pastor's funeral, Pastor Mike Geiger, his daughter at 39, who was the youth minister. They worked together, got cancer, three children, oldest 15. I had her funeral this year. How many of you know at 39 you ain't supposed to be dying? Come on, you know. And those are... What a way to go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, <laughs> okay, <clears throat> I'm either talking low, Austin, turn me up a little bit. <laughs> no, the other way. No, never mind. <laughs> I'll try to talk a little clearer, too. Oh, boy. It's this. <laughs> I am so glad to know the Lord. Would you say amen to that? I'm just so glad to know the Lord. In the world, you're going to have tribulations just like unbelievers or anybody else. But man, it's good to know when you check out of this place to be absent from the body. Somebody help me. Present with the Lord. Man, that's, that's our hope. What a joy. Well, uh, yes, you... Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Our identity is in Christ. Um, yeah, it's, it's a reflection of. It's not an earning of. It's not the... Hi, let me give you this verse. I've got to be careful. I'm going to take off and preach more on that, okay? It says... Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse, so many times we forget. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, not by them, but unto them. How many of you followed that? Not by good works, I don't get my identity, but I'm created unto them that are a reflection of who I am. My Christian life is bringing my behavior in line with my identity. Two weeks ago, I had a family camp. And uh, I, well, uh, if I preached the gospel, I almost did on uh, whatever night it was I preached on righteousness. Gave an invitation. I said, no, I don't know. It's hard to know. Some guys give invitations after. Some guys never do, and that's okay. That's, that's between you and the Lord for the preacher, I think. And um, I gave an invitation. It was in the morning. It was in a morning session because I had morning and evening sessions. And uh, eight people came forward. Eight adults came forward. And as you'll see tonight, I just say, well, just, let's just hold hands. Just stand here and hold hands. No, I mean, I have no music, no soft music, no nothing like that. No manipulative pleas. Just you've heard the word as God speaking to you. If it is, it's a public invitation because the message was public. If we were talking across your living room table, that's different. Or you know, in your kitchen table, that's different. It's just private. But this is public. So you give a public invitation. Jesus gave a public invitation. So and one of the guys that came forward, I would have never guessed him, but he was 74 years old, and I'd seen him at this camp for 10 years. He was part of the machinery there. I mean, it's just like this guy always comes. And they were, they were from Georgia. But I'd seen him and his family a number of different times. <laughs> And so when he came forward, and nothing shocks me anymore, I've had pastors come forward, pastors' wives come forward, missionaries come forward to put their faith in Christ. 
because for whatever reason, I pray with anybody that comes, and so he came forward, and I thought, that's going to be interesting. I'm just thinking, that's going to be interesting, and uh, pretty soon we prayed, and that later on that evening, after the evening message, we're around this kind of a campfire situation. He comes over and sits down next to me, and his first name was Glenn, and I said to Glenn, I said, uh, did you put your faith in Christ this morning? He said, yes, I did. I said, tell me about it, because I mean, he's got religion oozing out of him, you know. He's one of these guys, you just look at him and say, oh, he's a Christian. And he said, well, he said, all my life, he said, I've been in church, and he said, I've been a pretty good guy. He said, I've been faithful to my wife. He said, uh, I don't run around, I don't drink, I don't, he said, you know, the things we kind of, I don't drink and smoke and chew, and that kind of stuff we think that makes people Christians, okay? And he went down through the grocery list, and he says, I've always felt like God has used me as a good Samaritan. He said, it's just, I just felt like God's used me as a good Samaritan. And he gave me three illustrations, and I'm not going to take the time, of where, no question about it, divinely, he was put in the right place at the right time, and he responded right, and met the needs of a person that was desperately in need of ministry. And so he says, you kept preaching this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And you say, your good works aren't worth a biscuit for your salvation. And you, know, you kept saying these kind of things. He said, I've heard that my whole life. But he said, I began to evaluate it. He says... And then you talked about what's your hope of heaven? I mean, is it Christ alone? And I, well, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I believe in Christ, but it's because I, he's used me in all of these ways to be good. And he says, and I realized that the only thing I had to offer God for my hope of salvation was the fact that I'd been doing a lot of good. He said, it was my good works. And I felt like the Lord said to me, repent of your good works and trust Christ alone. Trust Christ alone for your hope of salvation. And I said, I will. He said, then get up there. And he said, when he said get up there, I said, begin to negotiate. What's everybody going to think? He says, how many of you ever had the Lord tell you something? You start negotiating with him and cutting a deal? And he said, uh, I started to negotiate, and the Lord says, I won't tell you again. This is your last chance. You get up there and publicly confess me. Alone, Christ, is your only hope. If you never did another good work and I never used you again in your life. Because you see people sometimes, do you know that God does use unbelievers? Do you know that unbelievers have divine, miraculous experiences with God? I mean, that guy sitting by the hole, the gate is blind. He gets his sight restored. Is he saved? He's as lost as a goose in tall grass. He's still lost. He just testifies. I don't know I, whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know. I just know once I was blind. Now I see. Can't you rejoice with me? They kicked him out of the synagogue, and Jesus looked him up and said, Do you believe on the Son of God? And he thinks to himself, I've heard that voice before. You see, there's one thing about hearing the word. You hear the word of God again and again, but do you hear the voice? And he's thinking, I recognize that voice. I ain't never seen this guy before, but I recognize his voice. And he says, who is he, sir? The Greek word is kurios. Who is he? It's translated in my version, Lord. He says, who is he, sir, that I might believe? And he says, you're looking at him and you're talking to him. It says, he fell down and worshipped. He got it. You, I'm not trusting in what some guy that I'd never seen before did for me. I'm trusting in you, that you are who you said you are. You're the Christ. He got it. People, be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. 
So I'm going to live differently because my anchor's on here. But I got news for you. That is so relative. Some people take off and grow like crazy. And some of us walk in place for quite a while before we get going. Any of you would say amen to that? I've looked around and compared myself. I said, why? I should be a better Christian. Yeah, you sure should, Tom, but you ain't them. You didn't have their bring-up. You didn't have their experiences. Just come on and get after me and keep your eyes looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. He's writing the script. You're not writing it. So whether I compare among others is as good as or not, my only hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid Oh, I'm enjoying this sermon. You may not need this, but I am enjoying this. I have to be reminded of the fact it is not me or what I have done. My poor old dad struggled with his assurance all his life because he had a sin, a besetting sin he couldn't shake. It would come back up and just torment him. And I know what it was, and I know the battle. And he just struggled so much. I'd share the gospel with him. And he said, well, Tom, that is my only hope. He said, it's only the grace of Christ. It is only the cross and what God has done for me. That's my only hope of salvation. I says, da-da, me too. He says, but you know you're a Christian. He said, you quit a good job to become a preacher. I always loved it when he said that. <laughs> you quit a good job to become a preacher, okay? My dad was so proud of me when I was a Michigan State Trooper. Okay, my dad had an eighth grade education, and I graduated from college. That was, he was so proud of that, and you know all this kind of baloney. He said, "He said you, you quit a good job to become a preacher." He said, "You preach sermons, you memorize scripture." He said, "You do things, you serve the Lord." He said, "You know you're a Christian." He's just an old shop worker, retired shop worker. Who am I? And he struggled with it. I've not done anything. He's comparing himself with all that kind of junk. And I looked at him and I said, Dad. If I never read my Bible again, memorize another scripture, preach another sermon, give another gift, and I went down to the grocery list of good works that should company salvation, but are not for salvation. I said, my only hope of heaven is what Jesus has done for me. Never will it be what I've done for him. And he'd go, oh, thank you, Tom. But the old devil would bring up his past, and he'd take his eyes off Jesus, and he'd look at him. How many of you know when you look in the mirror, you make a rotten savior? Would you agree with that? But when you look unto Jesus, Jesus paid it all. If you know the more hymn writers knew what they were talking about. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Just the verse on my little business card is, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. It's really all about Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. Anybody know what we were supposed to talk about this morning? <laughs> the weapons of our warfare. <laughs> no, it's not Acts 24. Let me see here. Austin, kill me again just for a minute here. Okay. Know your enemy. How about that? In this book, uh, Weapons of Our Warfare. Just let me get a copy of it. This one here, it's the one that has lightning on the front. Uh, met a guy preaching at a camp in uh, Wisconsin, Silver Birch. I have uh, 13 camps I pray for every day. 
Bayshore is one of them. Have for years, years and years and years. I just pray. You're number six. Bayshore is number six on my list of camp. Barricade, Get Your Community, Pleasant Valley, Grace Youth, Life Action, Bayshore, Rose Grove, Ekman, Yale, Joy, so I got this list. Because I have to pray by list. If I don't, I forget them. Yeah. How many of you know we need help remembering this? Okay. And so when it comes to Bayshore, I, you're going to get the generic prayer that I pray for all the camps every they have a clear vision of Christ, a passion for vision, unity, spirit among the fathers, great harvest, soul, glory. I have certain things that just pray. And then every once in a while, like after this, I will have specifics for a while of people, incidences, things to become aware of that you cover in prayer. But every day I'm just going to pray for that. Well, anyway, I met this guy up at this um, men's retreat, and he was a professional photographer. And I had, I, I pray about these covers. What should you put on the cover? You say a book's not judged by his cover. Oh, yes, it is. We judge one another by the cover. Would you agree? We don't know what's in there, but we, ju- we, we see and we make decisions. And so <clears throat> the cover is important to me. I have no creative ability. But as I was praying about it, this verse in Luke chapter 10, uh, 17, 18, somewhere in there, it says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They come back and say, oh, Jesus, of all the things he gave them power to do. I mean, power to raise the dead, cure the, heal the sick, that kind of thing. They came back and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. How many of you are familiar with that? And Jesus looked at them and puts in this one-liner that I'll guarantee you went flying right over their heads. They did not have a clue what he was talking about. And he just said, and I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And then he goes on to the next verse. He said, don't rejoice over the fact that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice over the fact that your names have been written down in heaven. How many of you are familiar with that now? But you look at it, it's just one lot. And it's like he's going along preaching away, and then he says, remember Lot's wife. And then he jumps into a son. You don't even look like it should be there. How do you know there's not a word in this book that should not be there? It's there for a purpose. What did he mean? They didn't know it, but he was making a direct claim to his deity, who he was. Do you know when Satan fell from, as lightning from heaven? Isaiah chapter 12, verse 14. You know, cast down the nations. How art thou fallen? How art thou fallen? This is Isaiah's vision. Getting, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, who didst weaken the nation? How art thou cut down to the ground? Who didst weaken the nation? He says, You said in your heart, this is what Satan said. This is where evil now is beginning to manifest itself through the, the one who used to lead the worship, a beautiful angel. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. I will this, I will that, I will that. And God said, you will not. And it says he cast him out of his presence. You know what it looked like? A bolt of lightning. Jesus said, and I saw say, he's saying, with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, I was there when we put the boots to him and he rose up. We didn't send him out of heaven floating down like a feather. How do you think that might have been one bolt of lightning? Would you agree? He said, I'm going to let you know what you're not going to do, and you're not going to steal my glory, exalt yourself above my throne. And he sent him out of his presence. That, to me, is a picture of what God did to Satan. He cast him out of his presence like a bolt of lightning. So that's... I'm going to say Luke 10, 18. If you want the exact, I'm going to have to check it. Is it? Luke 10, 18. Isaiah 14, 12. I think I said 12, 14. How many of you you are still dyslexic, at least with your numbers? How many of you struggle with that? I look at numbers. I have to look at them again because then ones on the end will jump out of place on me. So 
I do that in scripture sometimes. I quote the wrong numbers. But the numbers are not inspired, just the words. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, don't wanna, you don't wanna get the words messed up. If the numbers, eh, close enough, okay. Any other questions or comments? Ten eighteen. Yep. Isaiah fourteen twelve. Thirteen fourteen, those were verses. Well, I would say this to you, know your enemy. That's in one of these chapters here. Know your enemy. You have an enemy. When you switched how have you know, before you come to Christ, you are literally a child of the devil. He's your father. He's the one calling the shots. When you receive Christ, you get a heavenly father. Would you say amen to that? You see, you, and, and you now were an ally of Satan, and now you switch teams, and the one who used to be your ally is now your enemy. And people, if you don't have any assaults of the devil, you ought to ask yourself why. If you're not on his team, he is going to put you in the crosshairs. And when he can, he's going to take a shot at you. He's going to put things in your mind if he can. If you don't lift the shield of faith, a little old match, pretty soon you got a brush fire. Things are out of control, and you're thinking things you... I don't know about you, but I've had thoughts that I know were demonic. I mean, violent, wicked, angry, horrible thoughts. In fact, to the point, sometimes you're minding your own business, and this thought comes in, and you don't realize where it came from, and pretty soon you find yourself down this road thinking thoughts, and you're going, whoa, where did that thought come from? Any of you ever had that experience? Okay, yes. <laughs> you have. Any well, can I tell you something? It didn't come from God, and I say amen to that. So if you want to know your enemy, stay with me. Don't bail out on this. If you want to know what your enemy is like, study God. Because once you find out the attributes of God, you just do a 180, and you've got the attributes of Satan. If God is love, he is hate. If he's truth, he's a liar. If he's freedom, he's bondage. You just go down through all of the... If he's light... His kingdom is full of darkness. Would you agree with that? Darkness. That's a metaphor that describes Satan's domain. As a young state trooper, I remember the first time, and I'm not walking with the Lord of any stretch of the imagination, but I pulled over a van. I used to shake cars. I, I wasn't a real good detective, but I loved the road. I did. I, I just loved shaking cars. I loved to get in CCW. Get you. you wouldn't have liked me. I just loved, I'd go over, there wasn't nothing going on in Lapeer County. I'd go over to Genesee County and work the Dort Highway, the Dixie up and say, I, I'd get where it was some action, okay? And I was shaking cars, man. i just look at cars and shake them. Get in, when I say shake them, you're getting people out of the cars and you're getting an idea if they ain't got them and come back with maybe only an FTW. That gives you all the right, man. Anyway, I used to love to shake cars. And a, a van went by. And there's a guy, I can see him, he's got this beard and uh, a top hat on and a dark jacket. I just saw him when I went by. I thought, we'll take a look. Turn, pop lights, going. And he hands me, he's giving me his horsepowers, his ops, his registration, proof of insurance. And when he gave me his registration, I saw that the vehicle was registered to the Church of Satan out of Detroit. Hmm. I want to take a look at this. <laughs> And he's got a curtain hanging on behind his seat, so I can't see anything in the back of the van. It's a panel van. It's all black, <laughs> spray-painted. It ain't a high-class. It's, it's a junk van, okay? It, it was falling apart. The Church of Satan, I said, uh, tell me about this. I said, what's this uh, Church of Satan? He said, I'm a priest in the Church of Satan. I said, really? Now, I ain't walking with God, but I still believe in God, and I still believe there's a real devil. 
but I didn't, I would have never to this dimension. I never met anybody. He said, yeah, he said, I got some of my parishioners in the back. Now I'm going, ooh, I want to see this. And I said, you mind if I take a look? If he'd have said no, game over. He said, yeah. And he went back and he opened up those two doors and there was a little ceramic um, snake, a, a cobra like this. And in the middle of its coil was a little pot and they were burning incense to it. And I'm thinking, I, I'm going to smell dope. They didn't have any dope, any grass. And this smoke is coming. When he opened up them doors, I felt like something pushed me back. I know nobody pushed me, but I just felt like I was pushed back. And the darkness and the evil, and I just said, be on your way. It scared me. Because it wasn't, you want to dance, baby? Let's start the music. How many of you know what I just said? If it's a physical thing, let's get it on. But I was up against something that I didn't know, and it pushed me back. That was my first exposure to the kingdom of darkness. In that overt of a way, I'm sure I had experienced this before, but totally clueless to it. He has a kingdom of darkness. There are literally, in fact, the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against prince. So many times it's the enemy and we're wrestling with the flesh. We're wrestling with people. We're angry with people. And we don't see beyond that the kingdom of darkness influence who's using that person needs to be addressed so that that person can be dealt with. You can have something to do with that person because they're driven. The Holy Spirit leads, the wicked spirit drives us. When I was into pornography, I'd come under a spirit of lust. And I'm so ashamed of this. I wish that nobody ever had to know about that being in my life. I will go to my grave ashamed of some of my past. I will, never, I will not go to my grave guilty of any of my past. There's a big difference. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But the apostle Paul went to his grave with a certain amount of shame. He said in Romans 6, 21, for what fruited ye in those things of which you are now ashamed. Do you think he was ever proud of the fact he gave that to Stephen when they stoned him? Do you think he ever was proud of the fact he was a Christian killer, wreak havoc among the church, was a blasphemer? I'll guarantee you, he would, I have things in my past I am so ashamed of, but I'm not guilty anymore. My guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there, and Calvary covers it all. See, that's my hope. It's all Christ. It's all what he's done. It's back to the Lord who set me free, who cleansed me from all my unrighteousness. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm trying to say. This is the, the glory, the rejoicing we have in Christ. So, but when that was in my life, I know what it was. When I was trooping down in Detroit, I'd go down eight mile. I got stuck in the lodge in 8 Mile, Chicago Boulevard. That was my area. I just, that precinct seemed like I worked all the time. If you know anything about that strip of 8 Mile, it's all adult bookstores. Just all skin shops. Hookers standing on the corners. And in a patrol car, I could drive down there and come under a spirit of lust. Just, just being in that area. And I was driven by that. Hated that. I hated being driven. You don't know what it is to, yeah, you do, many of you do, to come to freedom and know what to do. To say, finally, I'm all done with this. You take your best shot because you're going to pay. And coming against the enemy of your soul and taking back that part of the ground he's had in your life, the stuff he used to raise up and torment and drive you with, now the Holy Spirit's going to lead me in a different path. How many of you know the Lord's a better master than the devil? Would you agree with that? He's going to lead me in the ways of righteousness. He's going to restore my soul. He's going to do the things that I desperately long for in my inner man. 
And the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy and take everything away from me that God has given me and promised me. It's a battle. I tell people, when you sign up for Jesus, hang on. It's going to be a slugfest. There's going to be days it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. The enemy's not just going to roll over and play dead because you shoot one verse at him. Would you agree with that? Sometimes it's a nose-to-nose, toes-to-toes, and you just fight that out. Well, if you want to know your enemy, what he's like, study God. Just study the Lord. Um, God's a giver. So when you find something being taken from you, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal every blessing God has given you. Well, God so loved the world that he gave. The, the nature of God is to give to us. He wants to give to us. Well, then how, why do you need to know that? Because when things are going on in my life, we need to know, is this of God or is this of the devil? What do I do? How do you know sometimes God does chastise his children? You need to know what that is. We need to test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. Many false prophets have gone out in the world. You need to test them. Is it good? Does it glorify God? Is it a lineup with scripture? That's a test. You ought to run. What's going on? I'm not sure. Because the devil has an ability to disguise himself like an angel of light. He can look pretty cunning at times. Well, we need to test that. What's going on? If I know the nature of God and I finally discern down here, this isn't from God, then I do warfare. You don't want to resist God. Would you say amen to that? Just bring it on. If I need this, Lord, bring it on. But you do want to learn how to resist the enemy, the unseen enemy of your soul. So you need to have discernment. God, give me a spirit of discernment. Um, weapons. That's what this book is about. I, have, I don't talk about, I think I use, I, I have one chapter where I talk about the shield of faith. Because it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation, the sandals of peace, the girdle of truth, and all these kind of things. But above all, it's one of them weapons, or excuse me, it's one of them uh, pieces of armor that's on top of armor. The shield talking about, you could hide your whole body, a Roman shield. You get down there. Well, you've already got your helmet on, you've already got your breastplate, you've already got all the other stuff on, but this is kind of an extra protection. Shield of faith. And you get down and hide behind the shield of faith. And it was a leather, liquid-soaked, it was heavy. It wasn't something you want to run across a field with. But when you came under attack, can I tell you something? When the arrows came in, and because it was moist, it would quench the darts of the enemy. Same thing with the enemy of your soul when he fires at the control center. Maybe he wants to take out a foot or something. The shield of faith will cover all those. Let me give you now, uh, the rest of it is about weapons. I have 21 weapons listed. I have 26 I take on every morning. I, I want to be aware that I need, and these weapons are different. People, there's sometimes, <coughs> it's interesting that a fly just come up here and start to bother me. How many of you know one of the names of Satan, Beelzebub, is Lord of the Flies? How many of you have never been beat up by a fly? Come on, say amen. But how many of you have been pestered by a fly? And that's sometimes all he can do. And he'll send a wicked spirit that is all he can do is just pester you. You resist the thought, it goes, and he comes back. Somebody just keep pestering you. You need a BB gun or a fly swatter. You just need a fly swatter. You don't need a big gun. How many of you know there are days when he assaults you? You need a bazooka. How many of you know what I meant by that? See, these are not all the same kind of weapons, and you don't always use them all the same. Sometimes you just need to get out the fly swatter and smack them a couple of times. Some scripture that you know applies to this particular hymn. He's just pestering you. He's just trying to get you distracted, just ignore, you know, to get you to take your eyes off the Lord. And so you just get out this particular weapon. You know that works for that. This is 21 of them, and you need to learn how to use them. Let me see. Uh, I better look at this. Let me give you the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 
For though we walk in the flesh, metaphor, I'm, I, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth me in the life which I now live in the flesh. How many of you know as a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in a temple of clay? Yes. <laughs> How many of you know the temple of clay can get sick? Just because you live in the world, you're under the judgment of God. Oh, come on. I'm just a citizen of earth. It's part and parcel. How do you know that Christians get automobile accidents? So I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have any trouble. You better read the book again. These people had troubles. Get arrested, thrown in jail, beat up. I mean, they're they're Christians. Why don't God just take... Because this ain't heaven. Come on, say amen. That's where we're going. How do you know you're a citizen of two worlds? And it's hard to balance them. Would you agree? It's just hard to say, God, why does this stuff happen to me? You're still a citizen of earth. But your citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to change all this, change our lowly body, that we may be fashioned according to his glorious body. Don't worry. How do you know when you're in heaven, you're beyond the devil's reach? Good place for an amen. Did you, you, when you are, but well, as long as you're here, he can still put the touch when he, when he gets an opportunity to. You can still do it. It's, it so I, I learned to accept that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons, plural, in every translation, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He's not writing to the chamber of commerce again. He's writing to the church. Can Christians have spiritual strongholds in their life? They can Don't think just because you come to Jesus and you get saved that all your troubles go away. I tell people, you trust Jesus, things may get worse before they start getting better. When you switch teams, the enemy's going to say, I've had that ground in that person's life for a long time, and he built a stronghold, brick at a time. My mouth, God showed me victory in that in one week. Took away my filthy mouth in one week. That's the only Jericho I've experienced. Some people live their whole Christian life never have a Jericho. I did in sovereign, God's sovereign grace and good wisdom, he said, I'm going to do this for you. I would, have, I would be terrified to think about walking away from the Lord after he did something like this so powerful. When, when, and I know guys, they get saved. God delivers them from some addiction, something. That day, I know other guys that get saved and struggle with that thing for years. He set me free in one week from a filthy mouth, and I knew God was real, and I was on my journey about three, four months later, I'm looking at a filthy magazine. I, I'm growing in grace. I'm a child of God. You see, no Christian could look at a filthy magazine. Oh, shut up. That's in Luke 75, I believe. <laughs> I don't know where that was at. Come on, people, get real. Then no Christian would do that. Christians have done about everything wrong you can think of. Read the book. How does a man after God's own heart look at another man's wife, end up killing him and taking her? How does that happen? Well, he couldn't have been a Christian. Oh, come on. We're not saved because of what we do. We're saved because of what we put our faith in, who, what God has done for us, his imputed righteousness. Keep going back to that. My salvation is not what is in jeopardy. Working out my salvation is. You can grow or you can, you can lose ground. You, you have the choice. Just like you choose Christ, choose to follow him. I'm looking at a filthy magazine. And that same voice that spoke to me in September 8, 1978, no audibles, never heard. His spirit bearing witness to my spirit. He said, this is next. Are you going to deal with this? See, I was 19 when I saw my first skin book. My cousin showed it to me as a playboy. If I'd have known the door that was going to open in my life, I would have done just like Joseph. I would have run. I'd have ran as fast and as far as I could if I'd have known 
That was, I was 19. There are kids nine years old that are seeing things that would make that look like a cakewalk today. How many of you know what's happening in America? There is a generation of people that are going to be under the control of the enemy. It's going to be a danger. It is becoming increasingly dangerous. You cannot leave that. I was looking at this skin book, and God said, this is next. I closed it, and another voice said, you'll never be free from this one. Now, how you know, one's telling me the truth and one's telling me a lie. Would you agree with that? Don't you think just because God told you some truth, the devil ain't going to come along and tell you a lie? Because the Bible said, when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now, somebody's telling me the truth and somebody's saying, you're never going to be free from this one. This is your secret sin. Not even your wife knows about this. Eight and a half years. And I would fail and the devil would hand me the whip and I would beat myself senseless. How do you know he will let you beat yourself? If you'll, if you'll take the whip, he'll let you beat yourself. Not to, just don't look at Jesus. Who is the, he's going to help you in this. Don't look at that direction. Just look at what you, you failed him again. And you call yourself the accuser of the brethren just loves to take our failures and torment us with it. He tempts us, then he torments us with our failures. Read the book. It's exactly his nature. Eight and a half years, and then sitting in a pastor's conference, when I finally... For the first time, I think I shared that yesterday, experienced spiritual warfare. See, I've had victory from then till now. Can I lovingly say this? <laughs> victory is not taking the high ground. It's taking the high ground and holding it. If you think I've never been tempted since that day, you're crazy. If you think I haven't ever been exposed to things that I have to deal with, you're nuts. But I know how to deal with them now. See, I've learned what I need to do to walk in victory. It's like somebody opening the door, letting you out of prison. Who in the world would want to go back? I mean, this is stupid. There is nothing but bondage here. There's nothing but freedom here. Keep following the Lord and getting stronger and learning the weapons. That's why I have 26 of them. 26 weapons. And that's not exhausting. I added one last year. Austin, help me again, would you? In fact, I'm actually thinking about closing this series on Friday with that message. It's leave Acts 24 and just talk about that one weapon because the sermon will stand by itself. It really will. It's just, it's because it's fresh in my heart. It's it's one I've just added to my arsenal. Yeah, it's it's a big gun. Let me tell you, it's a big gun. You wheel that one out, it's a big gun. Time, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Did you know that? <laughs> There's no way this should be this. Uh, if Ellen hadn't taken so long with the announcements, we didn't. <laughs> I know you can handle that. So, you know, she goes, hey. <laughs> oh, boy, let me see. The weapons of our warfare. Uh, be sober vision for your adversary. The devil's ruined line. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. How do you resist him? Fully clad in God's armor and with the weapons of your warfare. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I know Christians who want victory in areas of their life, and they want to know how to resist the devil, and they say, it don't work for me. And you know what I found? It's because they've not done the first thing in that step. They've never submitted themselves to God. If you think you can resist the devil without being submitted to God, you better tear that verse out of your Bible. Submit yourselves first thing unto God. 
God, I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, I'll be who you want me to be, I'll say what you want me to say. God, I want you first in my life. He said, then stand up, suit up, and here we go. Here we go. But if you want to leave me alone, if you want me to play the sidelines, how do you know he really does want to be first in our life? He does want to have preeminence, folks. I can't preach to Jesus any other way. He's not somebody we tack onto our life, and when we need him and when we're in a jam, we go to him. Uh-uh. He wants, to, he wants to lead us in the paths of right. He wants to lead us in our lives. He wants to be first, and in all things he might have preeminence. Then Satan, take your best shot, because you're going to pay. Okay, let me see. I'm going to give you a few weapons. Let me see. Uh, the weapons. Here's what I do in the morning. I put on my armor, and then I say, I take the sword of the spirit, big weapon. That's a, that's a bazooka, sword of the spirit. That's the reason I encourage people to memorize scripture. Have it ready, quick draw. Just always have your weapon ready. Have it in your mind, have it in your heart, have it you know, doing a work of meditation and revealing the power, the truth of a certain verse. Ask God, what, what verse do I need? What am I struggling with? I don't care if it's your morals or whatever it is. Say, God, what verse do I need when I come under attack? Because nobody's the same. Everybody has different issues and levels of what they struggle with, even in morals. What weapon do I need? And then memorize that verse, meditate on that verse, and when the enemy fires that thought into you, wheel out the sword of the Spirit, and then hold it tightly with a powerful hand of prayer. You're going to pray now. And you're praying Scripture. How many of you know the power of praying scripture How many, some of you are familiar with this some some christians never pray scripture pray scripture why it's the sword of the spirit which is the word of god it says that right in ephesians chapter 6 and the word of god is living and powerful it's active it has abilities in, in a way you and i don't even understand the devil hates it when we resist him submitted to god and we take out the sword of the spirit and that's going to be our weapon and we grasp it tightly with a powerful hand of prayer let me give you some good verses to memorize, some good prayers, scriptural prayers. They're the prayers of the saints that are good to, to memorize. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, oh, I think it's 9, 10, and 11. In verse 4, he said, I thank my God for you always making requests for you in my prayers. And this I pray, he said, this is what I pray for the church at Philippi. Because there are certain places you go, there are certain demonic principalities over that aren't, that are strong here, that are not strong over in Ephesus. Ephesus had all kinds, they were into witchcraft. And over here, this is the slave, Philippi's a slave trade, a dominance kind of, a, um, it'd be a hard place to have a job. It's just a difficult place because of the oppression over the working class. <clears throat> you might go to Thessalonica and they have another principality. And sometimes you need to pray and discern what's going on here. Sometimes people do historical backgrounds on places and see the principality that's over that. I'm getting way deeper than I wanted to. Um, Philippians, he said, this I pray. I'll give you the prayer. And this I pray. <clears throat> and you preach and try to quote sometimes, it doesn't always fly. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, <clears throat> that you may be sincere and without offense under the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Now you take that section of, of Scripture and begin to meditate on it and think about it 
and where that's going to apply to some kind of a assault area of your life. Just ask God, God, guide me in this. I want to be a good soldier. I don't want to be entangled with the things of this life that I may please you who have chosen me to be a soldier. I didn't sign up. You gave it to me when I trusted Christ. I, my identity changed. So if my identity is a soldier, then how do I bring my behavior in line with my identity? I am, I, I am a soldier. That's one of the I'm a pilgrim. I'm an ambassador. I mean, look at the things that God calls you. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm complete. I'm accepted in him. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. Okay, that's my identity. <clears throat> then when I'm not living like my identity says I should, how do I do this? And you go vertical and say, God, how do I do this? That Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is filled with things on. That's supposed to characterize me right now. That's supposed to be. Let me just give you another one. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll make sure on the numbers. It's about 15, 16. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole is, verse 14, like I said, <laughs> I didn't get the right number, 14 through about 21. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. See, that's where the battle's going on. The enemy, it's, it's a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood that he would strengthen me with might according to his glorious power under all patience, long-suffering, with joyfulness. I think I'm doing, giving you a different one right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, three, yes. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God that passes knowledge. Oh, how the devil wants us to disbelieve God's love. It's, you see, I love people when they're lovable. How many of you are glad I am not God? God loves us. It's proven. He offered his son, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just say, God, I choose to believe you love me. I am not acting like someone that is easy to love right now. But I know that your love extends itself way beyond my deserving of that love. Oh, God, fill me with that love of God because the devil's telling me you don't love me anymore because of what I've just done. Help me, oh, God. And you, you begin to meditate on these. Fill me with the love of God. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or imagine, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Hallelujah, amen. Powerful prayer. Ephesians 1, I'm going to guess verse 17. It's in the area. It says that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of himself, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of our God. So many Christians are content to not know what's even going on around them. They're being buffeted and knocked all to pieces. And they, I guess this is just part of the life. No, learn to understand. God, give me some understanding to this. Open my spiritual eyes that I can see what it is that's opening the door for this wicked spirit to take advantage of me. God, give me understanding. I want to know what my inheritance is in the saints. That more than conqueror stuff, I'm thrilled to have one victory a day. God, let me know what it is to be more than a conqueror. And you begin to pray those things, and God reveals. Growing, see, 25 years ago, this was, none of this was in my theology. And I can tell you this, the devil had a strongholds in my life. Oh, my goodness. And working out of it, he still has areas in my life that I'm taking background. He's had it too long. I'm 
putting areas of my life back under the lordship of Christ. But our children grew up knowing these truths. Lydia, I believe the devil will attack your oldest and your youngest child. If you have two, they'll both get her. If you have five or ten, the ones in the middle somehow seem to escape some of the assault. Because he knows the firstborn, one's supposed to be dedicated to God. If he can TKO that one, the rest of them are going to follow that suit. And then the last one, the young one, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> poor old Ben struggled. 15 years old saw his first pornography. And he's struggling. And at 15 and 16, you got a lot of testosterone. And it's, he knows how to rev it up and all this kind of stuff. And I began to share with him things because I was just learning them then. It was just kind of like, I'm, I'm trying to get my own soul out of this mess. And he kind of comes along sort of to listen to that guy who's a pastor now, warfare prayer. I've never felt sorry for the devil, but I almost do when I listen to him pray. He kicks the guts out of Satan. Why? He's got three, he's got a 19, a 17, and a 15-year-old. How do you know they're right in the thick of it? Would you agree with that? You don't live in America in some kind of a monastery. You live in America. It's just there. And he's got an older daughter. And to listen to him pray, and to pray with people that are struggling with the enemy and stuff. But then Lydia, Ellen came under a spirit of fear. And I had, by that time, I, I realized this is real. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and of a sound mind. And I wrote out a prayer for Ellen. And I prayed it with her for seven days. And a girl who would not leave her mother's side because of the spirit of fear, within months, was going on missions trips around the world and traveling sometimes from some places to others by herself. Wouldn't even leave her mother's side. Now, something happened. How even know when you prove all things and hold fast to that which is good? You don't have to live off somebody else's theology. See, we want those, the testimony. What's happening? Okay, you're praying these things, nothing's happening. Then why not? Is, is this true or is this not true? And all of a sudden you find yourself praying, ah, I see what the issue is. And we went back in her life and took back the ground where a spirit of fear got into her life when she got lost from us in a large crowd of people. We said, God, where did the enemy get this foothold in her life? Because he's built a stronghold. He's tormenting our daughter. And we don't know what to do. And we've got her in on this journey. And it was, we went to Uncle, Child, Uncle Charlie's children bible hour any of you ever heard of that it's in grand rapids and we lost her in this mass of people we got four kids and joyce has said you know she's carrying brian or something or lydia and i'm supposed to be hanging on to one and and ben's out in front of us and i was supposed to be hanging on to ellen's but i lost her and a little kid like this and a mass of people standing up you, you ain't even walking you're just kind of you know moving like this and we get outside how of you know this is every parent's fear when you look down and you don't have your child would you agree with that and being a police officer, how have you know, the devil puts into my mind every weirdo that I've ever investigated. Would you agree with this? And I, I, I'm packing at that time. I'm still a cop. <laughs> and I turn around and start going back through this crowd that's coming this way. And I got news for you. There, here comes a nutcase. Let him by. Okay, whoa. And I got in there, and pretty soon I got where we were at, and there was nobody there. And the spirit of fear is coming on me now. And I didn't know that. I'm giving ground to the spirit of fear to enter our daughter, to torment her. And I said, oh, God. Where is Ellen? And here come an old boy in the back. She'd wandered out with the crowd that way, and he saw her out there, and she was crying. Godly man, he took, said, we'll find your mommy and daddy. He was bringing her back in. And man, I'm knocking over chairs, getting back there, and I picked her up. I was terrified. And she got that. She got the spirit of fear. We went back to that, and we took back that ground and put her life back under the lordship of Christ, our Lord. We didn't do it. We, we did not intend to do that. We were just ignorant of his devices, and he took advantage of us. The Bible says we should not be ignorant of his devices, lest he take advantage of us. I mean, what do you do with those verses? 
And that was a game changer for us. Now Lydia, she, she's our last born. And she began to have nightmares. And you could not wake her up. I mean, she's a little girl. Seven years old, maybe six, seven. But by this time, we know, okay, Satan, you're trying to destroy. How many of you ever had a dream that when you woke up, you knew it was just a dream, but it troubled you all day long? See, the enemy knows that. Because when you and I shift into neutral, that subconscious, it's still working, kicking into gears. He said, well, I'll just take advantage of him there. You're not able to resist. And uh, finally, Joyce and I said, we're going to deal with this. She'd go to sleep, and we'd go right in, get around her bed. Some of you may think this is really weird. Go ahead and think what you want to. It works. It just flat out works. And for seven nights, we prayed over, and she never had one terrifying, not one dream where she woke up screaming. You couldn't wake her up. She'd go, Then we're praying, panicked praying. There's a difference between panic praying and praying taking the lead in control. And we did this. And then we told her what we were doing. She said, I have slept so good. I said, here's what you need to pray for. You go to sleep at night. And we just wrote out a prayer for her. And she prayed it. She prayed it seven days. After seven days, she had it memorized. It became a game changer for that girl. Just a game changer. People, don't let the devil, don't let him take advantage of you. Stand up, suit up, stand up and say, you want to dance? Take your best shot because I'm all done. I'm done being your punching bag. I know who I am. I am complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, he disabled you. He tore apart all the principalities and powers and disarmed them. You have no right to do this to me. Just go ahead and take them off. This book is just those kinds of names. In the name, use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in your prayers. We preach in his name. We baptize in his name. Everything is in his name. Can I tell you something? When you resist the devil and you're supposed to resist, pray a prayer that always begins and ends in the name of Jesus. It's still a hallowed name. It has authority in the, in the realm of darkness. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Um, when I was a state trooper, because of my size, and I was always uniform, when they had a bunch of uh, warrants to serve, you have to have a uniform officer serve them. You might have plainclothes dicks all around them, out here, but you, you have a uniform officer. And they told us, you know, you got a dope place, and we're going to go and tip it over. And I go up and knock on the door, and somebody hollered, who is it? Now, they knew. They saw <laughs> Mark patrol car drive in. And I'd say, state police, open up. The prosecutor said, you've got to give them three seconds to get that door open because we were booting doors a little early because we know what happens. They start flushing stuff and get rid of all the evidence. You, and then you haven't got the case. You've got to have evidence to have a case. And so we were just kind of knocking on the door, and the next thing was a foot going through it, okay? And I was big, and I, I'd never found a door I couldn't kick. You kick it right, and I could kick a door in. And so I knocked on the door. I said, who is it? State police, open up. 1,001, 1,002, 1,000. You'd be amazed how fast you can count that because you hear them in there. They're just flying around. And they got cops out in the back waiting for them to come bailing out the back door. But you, and then I'd wham and kick that door in. If they would have said, who is it? And I'd have said, Tom Harmon. <laughs> My name had no authority. But how do you know the name of the state police did? Your name has no authority in the kingdom of darkness. But the name of Jesus does. So you come representing who? The Lord Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach. Christ. Use his name. Through the blood, don't be afraid to preach the gospel. 
pray the blood of Christ over you. You know you're heading into a battle zone. Oh God, <laughs> verses like this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sins. He, the devil loves us to feel dirty. People, we've been washed. Would you say amen to that? He has cleansed us, made us acceptable in the beloved. In the name and through the blood of the Lord. I'm just gonna give you and we're done. Here's the weapons. You can count them if you want to. 21 of them are in here. <clears throat> Oh boy, come on, Tom. I take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I grasp it tightly with a powerful hand of prayer. In the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, praising, persevering, seeking godly comrades by the word of our testimony, the powerful commodity of grace, fasting, humility, worship, clear conscience, moral purity, serving, good works, self-denial, will to fight, proclamation of the gospel. I'm missing, I don't know where I'm at. Proclamation of the gospel, gratefulness. I can't remember where they're at now. Um... Wonder, looking for the blessed hope, repentance, forgiveness, joy. And here's the last big gun, drawing near to God. I seek to live for you today. Oh, drawing near to God, what a weapon. It's a big one, that's a bazooka. You know how to get good with your weapons? Use them. Use them. Take one, take two, and start using them. You'll get good with them. When I joined the state police, I almost didn't make it through the academy because I couldn't hit a bull in the hind end for to save my neck. I mean, I'm shooting, and I'm hitting targets, but I ain't hitting mine. How you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I couldn't hit nothing. I was scared of the dumb gun. I, didn't, I wouldn't have admitted that, but I, I had a fear of that dumb thing. Uh, I graduated as a sharpshooter. That's a tinfoil badge that says to every criminal, he couldn't hit you if he tried. But about two, two and a half years, because you had to qualify every year. I went from a sharpshooter to a marksman. That's a little bit better. About another two and a half years, I went from a marksman to an expert. And that's getting good. Because I'm dumping rounds through my weapon. I mean, these are old revolvers is what we're shooting, okay? This isn't <laughs> clips and that. This is old revolvers. That dates me, okay? And eventually, I went from an expert to a distinguished expert. I shot a 300-round course. It took me over a day to shoot it. Got headphones on, um, targets like this, right hand, left hand, standing, kneeling, behind barricade. I got a sergeant barking out to me what to do, what to shoot. To, in order to qualify, I could shot on the pistol team because I became a distinguished expert. Out of 300 rounds, I put 295 of them in a circle like that. I got news for you. You didn't want to run from this old boy. I'd peel you. <laughs> I'm getting the message. <laughs> I'm getting the message. I could hit. How you know today if I took that same pistol and tried to hit, I'd be back to this. <laughs> you want to know why? I haven't shot a gun in years. But I'm shooting a gun, and I'm getting good with this one. And this one's more important because the other one's flesh and blood. This one here is a spiritual weapon. Use them. Just start using them. Start in the, name of, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave and take your wicked works with you and see what happens. Don't negotiate. You can command. You know who you are. You have the authority. He has given us authority. Would you agree with that? We're not under his authority anymore. We're under his. And command him to leave and take his wicked works with him. In the name of Jesus, my Savior. See what happens. Start using her. Sometimes that won't work. Add another weapon. And through the blood that has cleansed me and made me one of his children. And another wicked spirit will come with another avenue and another assault. Praising. What a weapon. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. 
Give him glory, all ye people, for his blood can wash away each stain. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels start singing praise and see what happens. The enemy says, I can't take that, I'm out of here. I'll guarantee it'll happen. You stick in there and fight the fight and go down the weapons. Can I tell you, eventually he's saying, this guy's serious and he's kicking the guts out of me. I'm going home. And he goes back and reports to the enemy, don't give me that assignment again. Give me something easier. You get back there. You pound him up again. He goes, beat to a pulp. I got news for you. He'll eventually leave you alone. He will. And you'll have seasons of peace. And the peace seasons will get greater. And when he comes back, because he ain't ever going to go away totally. If you love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, the higher the ladder, the sharper the knives, he's going to say, ooh, there's something he's not dealt with. I'll set up camp on that. That's what happens to you. The sins I'm dealing with now make the overt sense of a filthy mouth and anger and pornography and all that stuff look like a cakewalk. The sins I'm dealing with now live very comfortably in the dim regions of my darkened heart. They're religiously acceptable sins. Pride, malice, envy, jealousy. We've, we've accepted those. Can I tell you something? He doesn't accept them. Deal with them. Heavenly Father, take the avalanche as you only can do. Would you sort through it? Would you encourage the saints? Would you bless the people? We're all at some journey, place in our journey of faith, and we all want to move on. And the devil wants us to walk in place, not to walk in the spirit. So help us. We don't know where else to go. It's like Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. You, you have the truth that sets it free. So we trust you. We commit ourselves to you anew and afresh right now. Dismiss us with your grace, because it's only your grace by which we're here. Our last breath was a gift of your grace. So use us, God, and glorify yourself in us, and groom us and grow us into mighty men and women of God. Make us better husbands and wives and parents, children, brothers, sisters, better Christians. Would you help us, dear God? And we'll be careful to thank you, because we know if you do, you do all things well. And we just give you that permission and even plead for it to do a work in our lives, in our journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.